chapters forty six and forty seven of gretchen by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter forty six the letters there were four of them two in arthur's handwriting one directed to mrs arthur tracy wiesbaden postmarked liverpool one to marguerite heinrich wiesbaden postmarked shannondale one in a strange handwriting to arthur tracy if living and one to arthur tracy's friends if he were dead or incapable of understanding it and it was this last which marian read for as arthur was living she felt that with his letters strangers had nothing to do the letter to the friends which had evidently been written at intervals as the writer's strength would permit was as follows wiesbaden december blank eighteen hundred blank to the friends of mr arthur tracy if he is dead or incapable of understanding this letter from his wife who was marguerite heinrich and whom he always called gretchen i want to tell you about it for the sake of my little jerry whom if her father is dead i give to your care praying god to deal with you as you are good and just to her and i want you to forgive my husband and not be angry with him for marrying me a poor obscure girl with neither money nor name i was seventeen when i first saw mr tracy my father was dead i was an only child and my mother kept a little fancy shop in wiesbaden i went to school and learned what other girls like me learned to read and write and knit and sew and fear god and keep his commandments people called me pretty i don't know that i was but he told me so when he came to me one day as i was knitting under a tree in the park he had a picture made of me as i was then and it is on the wall but i have pawned it for the rent as i have almost everything oh jerry marian exclaimed at this point but jerry's face was buried in maud's pillow and she made no response so marian went on he came many times for i was always there waiting for him i am afraid but when he said he loved me and wanted me for his wife i could not believe it he was so grand so like nobility and i so poor and plain then mother died suddenly well to-day dead to-morrow with cholera and i was left alone gretchen we must be married now he said to me the night after the funeral and i answered him yes we must be married and we were the next day in the little english church by mr eaton the pastor you will find the certificate with the other papers do you ever remember a beautiful moonlight night when the air was soft and warm and sweet with many summer flowers and there was music in the distance and heaven seemed so near that you could almost touch the blue lining which separates it from us well just like that was my life with arthur for a few months oh how i loved him and how he loved me it frightened me sometimes he was so fierce and-i don't know what the word is so something in his love he never left me a moment he couldn't he said for i was his balance wheel and without me he was lost i think now he was crazy then i know he was afterward when he did such queer things and forgot so often sometimes the house we lived in sometimes his own name and at last me his gretchen that was so sad when he went away and stayed away for weeks and said he had forgotten but he was sorry too and made it up and for ten days heaven came down again so i could touch it then he went away and i have never seen him since you must excuse me his friends if i stopped a little while to cry it makes me so lonesome to think of the long years four and more which have been buried with the yesterdays under the flowers and under the snow since arthur went away and left me all alone if i had told him he might have come back he was so fond of children 
but i was not sure and i would not tell a lie and let him go without a hint i wrote him once i had something to tell him when he came which would make him glad as it did me and he never replied to it though he wrote two or three times more and sent me money but did not tell where he was only he was being cured he said that was all in january my baby was born and i had her christened jerine by mr eaton you will find it with the papers then how i longed for him and waited and watched but he never came and i knew he had forgotten but i did not doubt his love for a moment or that he would one day come back and i tried to improve myself and learn what was in books so i could mate with him better when he came home which he never did and the years went on and my little jerry grew more lovely every day she is standing by me now and says are you writing to him darling jerry you will be kind to her won't you for his sake and for me too who will be dead when you read this jerry was sobbing now and maud's arm was around her neck while frank had walked to a window and like his wife was looking out upon the lawn which he did not see for the tears which filled his eyes when the money stopped the letter went on we grew so poor jerry and i and nanine that is the frenchwoman who lives with me and whom jerry calls mani she will bring my child to you when i am dead and oh be kind to her for a truer more faithful woman never lived she is such a comfort to me except when she scolds about arthur and calls him a bete noire which he is not as you will see he was shut up i don't know where but think it was where they put people with bad heads and he forgot everything till he was out and as far as paris on his way to america then he remembered and wrote me from liverpool such a letter full of love and sorrow for the past and sent me such lovely diamonds just like those he had bought for his sister in america he said and he was going home at such a date on the scotia and he wished me to join him in liverpool i send the letter with this to prove that i write true but it was too late for i was too weak to travel neither could i write to him in america for he gave me no address that was last september and i have been dying ever since for my heart broke when i thought of what was and what might have been could i have found him the money he sent me then i am saving for nanine and jerry to take them to america when i am dead all the days and nights i prayed that arthur might remember and write me again and god heard and he did and five days ago i received his letter so crazy it was but just as full of love and tenderness and a desire to see me he told me of his lovely home and the gretchen room where my picture is in the window and in case there should be no one to meet me at the station when i arrived he sent me directions how to find tracy park and told me just what to do when i reached new york he would come for me himself he said only the sea made him so sick and he was afraid he should forget everything if he did but you will see in his letter what he wrote and how fond he was of me and if he is alive and too crazy to understand now tell him when he is better how i loved him and prayed for him every hour that god would bring him at last where i am going so soon nanine will take him my bible with passages marked by me and a photograph which i had taken a year ago and which will tell you how i looked then now i am so thin and pale that arthur would hardly know me i send too a lock of jerry's hair cut when she was three weeks old she is such a comfort to me and so old and womanly for her years she will remember much of our life here for she notices everything and understands it too and goes over as in a play what she sees and hears we have been cold and hungry sometimes but not often the neighbors are so kind 
and when i am dead they will see that nanine is made ready for america with jerry and the papers and the diamonds which i might have pawned when our need was greatest but i could not i must save them for jerry and may she wear them many days in years to come when her mother is dust and ashes in the ground but a glorified spirit in paradise where i shall watch over her and if i can be with her often and keep myself in her mind so that she will never forget my face or the old home in germany god bless my little daughter and make her a true noble woman and god bless you arthur's friends who read this and incline you to be kind and just to jerry and see that she has her own for there must be money at tracy park and if you are poor and jerry comes rich tell her from her mother to be kind to you and give as you have given to her now i must stop i am so tired and it is growing so dark that nanine has opened the stove door to let the light fall on the paper in my lap and jerry is standing by me and says are you going to god pretty soon yes darling very soon to-night perhaps or to-morrow or when he will the air grows cold the night is coming on my eyes are dim my head is tired i think yes i think it will be to-morrow good-bye gretchen tracy as she finished reading marian arose and going up to jerry kissed her lovingly and said to her in german that was your mother's picture in our old home in wiesbaden i am so glad for you a low sob was jerry's reply and then judge st clair asked is that all yes marian said all except mr tracy's letters to gretchen oh no she added there is something more and feeling in the bag she drew out two small papers one crumpled and worn as if it had often been referred to the other folded neatly and tied with a white ribbon this marian opened first and found it to be a certificate written in english to the effect that mrs arthur tracy née marguerite heinrich died at such a date and was buried by the rev dr bellows the resident rector of the english church the other was in arthur's handwriting and the directions he had written to his wife as to what she was to do and how to find tracy park yes judge st clair said coming forward and taking the paper from her hand this is what the station-master saw the poor woman examining that night in the storm she probably dropped it into the bag without stopping to fold it there can be no doubt then a deep silence reigned for a moment in the room until mrs tracy who all through the reading had stood like a block of granite by the window turned and walking up to jerry said in a bitter tone of course there is no mistake i do not doubt that you are mistress here and am ready to leave at once shall we pack up and quit to-night dolly mother came angrily and sternly from both tom and frank and oh mamma please came faintly from maud while jerry lifted up her head and looking steadily at the cruel woman said why are you so hard with me i cannot help it i am not to blame i mean to do right only wait a little i am so sick now so dizzy and blind will somebody lead me out where i can breathe i am choking here it was tom who took her into the open air and to a seat under the tree where once before she had almost fainted as she did now with her head upon his shoulder for he put it there and then pushed her hair back from her face as he said lightly don't take it so hard if we can stand it you can then jerry straightened up and said tom do you want to kill me now what do you mean he asked and she replied 
don't you know you said under the pines that you would kill any claimant to tracy park who might appear against you i remember it tom said but i didn't think then that the claimant would be you and he put his arm around her as he continued i can't say that i am not awfully cut up to be turned neck and heels out of what i believed would be my own but if i must be i am glad it is you who do it for i know you'll not be hard upon us or let uncle arthur be even if mother is so mean remember jerry that i loved you and asked you to be my wife when i believed you poor and unknown tom was very politic but all the good there was in him seemed now to be on the surface and while inwardly rebelling at his misfortune he felt a thrill of joy in knowing that jerry was his cousin and would not be hard upon him shall we go back to the house he said at last and they went back meeting the people upon the piazza where they stopped for a moment while jerry's hands were shaken and she was congratulated that at last the mystery was cleared and her rights restored to her mr arthur tracy ought to be here judge st clair said yes i thought of that tom replied and shall telegraph him to-morrow then they said good-night and without going in to see either mr or mrs tracy again tom and jerry walked toward the cottage through the woods where the trees met in graceful arches overhead and the moonlight fell in silver flecks upon the grass and the summer air was odorous and sweet with the smell of the pines and the balm of gilead trees scattered here and there it was a lovely place and tom thought so with a keen sense of pain as after leaving jerry at her gate he walked slowly back until he reached the four pines where he sat down to think and wonder what he should do as a poor man with neither business or prospects i don't suppose father has laid up much he said for since uncle arthur came home he has done very little business and has spent what really was his own recklessly and without a thought of saving he was so sure to have enough at last and uncle arthur was so free to give us what we asked for but that will end when he knows he has a daughter and as he never fancied me much i shall either have to beg or work or starve or marry a rich wife which is not so easy for a poor dog to do i don't suppose that governor's daughter would look at me now nor any one else who is anybody by george i ought to have called on ann eliza again i wonder if it's too late i believe i'll walk around there anyway and if i see a light i'll go in and if old pater familias how i'd like to kick him is there i'll tell him the news and that i know now he did not strike jerry with the table leg and perhaps i'll apologize for what i said in the car tom tracy you are a scoundrel and no mistake he added with energy as he arose and struck into the field through which he had dragged ann eliza the night of the storm there were lights at le bateau and tom was soon shaking hands with old pater familias and with ann eliza who was now able to come downstairs chapter forty seven arthur he had enjoyed himself immensely from the moment he first caught sight of grand old pike's peak on the distant plains until he entered the city of the golden gate and standing on the terrace of the cliff-house looked out upon the blue pacific with the sea-lions disporting on the rocks below for he went there first and then to chinatown and explored every nook and corner and opium den in it and drank tea at twenty dollars a pound in a high-toned restaurant and visited the theatre and the joss house and patronized the push-cars as he called them every day and experienced a wonderful exhilaration of spirits as he sat upon the front seat with the fresh air blowing upon his face and only the broad steep street lined with palaces before him this is heaven this clears the cobwebs 
he said to charles who sat beside him with chattering teeth and his coat collar pulled high about his ears for the winds of san francisco are cold even in the summer arthur's first trip was to the yosemite taking the milton route and meeting with the adventure he so much desired for in the early morning between chinese camp and priests the stage was suddenly stopped by two masked marauders one of whom stood at the horses heads while the other confronted the terrified passengers with the blood-curdling words hands up every soul of you and the hands went up from timid women and strong men until click click came in rapid succession from the driver's box where arthur sat and shot after shot followed each other one bullet grazing the ear of the highwayman at the horse's heads and another cutting through the slouched hat of his comrade near the stage leave or i'll shoot you dead i've five more shots in this one and two more revolvers in my pockets and i'm not afraid arthur yelled jumping about like a maniac and so startling the robbers that they fled precipitately followed for a little distance by arthur who had leaped from the stage and who started in pursuit with a revolver in each hand and ball after ball flying ahead of him as he ran when at last he came back the passengers flocked around him grasping his hands and blessing him as the preserver of their money if not of their lives after that arthur was a lion whom all the people in the valley wished to see and talk with and with whom the landlord bore as he had never borne with a guest before for arthur found fault with the rooms which he likened to bathtubs and fault with the smells which came from the river and fault with the smoke in the parlour but made ample amends by the money he spent so lavishly the scores of photographs he bought and the puffs he wrote for the san francisco papers extolling the valley as the very gate of heaven and the hotel as second only to the palace and signing himself bumblebees he went on every trail and climbed the highest possible peak and when he stood on the top of old capitan and looked down upon the world below he capered and shouted like a madman singing at the top of his voice mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the lord glory glory alleluia until the rocky gorges rang with the wild echoes which went floating down the valley below where the sun was shining so brightly and the grass was growing so green on his return to san francisco after an absence of several weeks he took up his abode at the palace hotel which he turned topsy-turvy with his vagaries but the landlord could afford to bear much from one who spent his money so freely and so he was allowed to change rooms every day if he liked and half the plumbers in the city were called in to see what caused the smells which he declared worse than anything he had ever met in his life and which were caused in part by the disinfectants which he bought by the wholesale and kept in his bathroom his washroom and under his bed until the chambermaid tied up her nose in camphor when she went in to do her work but his career was brought to a close suddenly one morning when just as he was taking his coffee and rolls in his room charles brought him the following telegram come immediately there's the devil to pay tom tracy arthur read the message two or three times not at all disturbed by it but vastly amused at its wording then putting it down he went on with his breakfast until it was finished when he took a card from his pocket and wrote upon it pay him then for i shan't come arthur tracy this was handed to charles with instructions to forward it to tracy park this done he gave no further thought to the message so full of such import to himself but began to talk of and plan his contemplated trip to tacoma by the next steamer which sailed it was six o'clock when he had his dinner in his own private parlour where he was served by both charles and a waiter and where a second telegram was brought him confound it he said have they nothing to do at home but to torment me with telegrams 
didn't i tell them to pay the old harry and done with it what do they mean and putting the envelope down by his plate he went quietly on with his dinner until he was through when he took it up and breaking the seal read come at once i need you jerry that changed everything and with a bound he was in the next room gesticulating fiercely and ordering charles to step lively and get everything in readiness to start home on the first eastward-bound train which left san francisco that rascally tom is a liar he said it's not the devil to pay it's jerry do you hear it's jerry bring me some paper quick and don't stand staring at me as if i were a lunatic it's jerry who needs me charles brought the paper on which his master wrote coming on the wings of the wind yours respectfully arthur tracy in less than half an hour this singular message was flying along the wires across the continent and within a few hours arthur was following it as fast as a steam-horse could take him End of chapters 46 and 47